Who are the Falcons going to take in round one this year? I don't think we have to dig too deeply on it because I've done all the homework for you and boiled it down to just five players. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and of course, the most humble host that has existed in this galaxy, and especially on the planet Earth, the third rock from the sun, hosting this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family, your team every day. And we thank everyone that makes Locked On Falcons their first listen each and every day. Make sure you subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So guys, later uh, on today's episode, we'll take a deep dive on two of the players that I think are in the Falcons sort of five top five list of potential prospects. But ultimately what we're going to be talking about is I I don't think we have to overthink this, right? I've seen a lot of people throw out various names on who the Falcons could take in round one. You see Devin Witherspoon, the Illinois corner, Nolan Smith, the Georgia pass rusher, Peter Skaronsky, the Northwestern offensive lineman, Paris Johnson, Jr. The Ohio state offensive tackle, Lucas Van Ness, the Iowa pass rusher, Broderick Jones, the Georgia tackle, uh, Quentin Johnston, the TCU wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the Ohio State wide receiver. And I just sit here and I go like, you guys are just throwing darts at the board, right? It's, it's you know, it's not going to be one of those guys. And let me let me say up front, I, I don't know who the Falcons are going to take. I'm just guessing, right? But I feel like it's educated guessing, right? And that education comes from two years worth of data. And maybe that's not enough of a data set to really draw strong conclusions on, Um but we're going to use it anyway, right? That's what we're going to do. And, you know, when we talk about who the Falcons could take at eight, I don't think you have to go much further than just kind of looking at the consensus draft rankings of the Falcons, right? And, you know, I think you look at some of the players that the Falcons have taken over the last couple of years, and they haven't strayed that far from what the consensus is. And so I think when you apply that to this year, And if we assume that three quarterbacks are going to go in the top seven, I know there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks about maybe only two teams in the top seven are going to take quarterbacks. I'll believe that when I see it. But I think we can say with a healthy degree of confidence that we'll get at least three quarterbacks in the top seven. You know, that means the Falcons should have their choice of the five non quarterbacks at the top of this draft board. And when you look at the various consensus rankings, those players are Will Anderson, the pass rusher from Alabama, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia, B. John Robinson, the running back from Texas, Tyree Wilson, the defensive end from Texas Tech, and Christian Gonzalez, a cornerback from Oregon. And I think the odds are pretty high that the Falcons pick is probably going to be one of those five players. And again, it's because the Falcons over the previous two years did not stray too much from the consensus. Right, They're a chalk-based draft team, meaning that you know, it's not to sit here and say that their draft board is exactly like what the consensus rankings are, um, but it's not that far afield. Like we've talked in the past. If you've been a regular listener to this podcast, you, you've always heard me say things like the Falcons are going to zig when they when when you expect them to zag. And that was really a, a testament to the Thomas Dimitrov era Falcons that, you know, 
how they stacked players on their draft board, especially in the early rounds, is not the same as what the league had. And a lot of the players that the Falcons liked in round one, most of the league thought, oh, that's a second round player. Keanu Neal, Chris Lindstrom, uh, Caleb McGarry, et cetera, uh, are, are some obvious examples that jump out, right? But then when you look at this current regime in the past two years, Kyle Pitts and Drake London were kind of chalk guys, right? You know, you look at the athletic Arif Hassan, his consensus board that he constructs every year. Looking forward to seeing what he does this year. I don't think he's at, with the athletic anymore. But, you know, in 2021, Kyle Pitts was number two on the consensus board, looking at like 70 plus draft boards or whatever the number was that Arif uh, broke down to come up with these consensus rankings. Kyle Pitts was number two in obvious reasons. That's why he was the best player available. Drake London was number 12. And when the Falcons were on the clock at the eighth overall selection, you look at that consensus rankings, the players left were the number four guy that was uh, Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. Um, Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver at Ohio State, was 10. Jermaine Johnson was 11, um, the pass rusher out of Florida State. And then Drake London was number 12. And, you know, I, I think the reasons why the Falcons maybe jumped over some of those players, you know, was because you had the obvious need for the Falcons, the wide receiver, and you had the obvious scheme fit for Drake London over, say, a Garrett Wilson. We saw that Jermaine Johnson, you know, the NFL did not love him as much as basically the draft community ranking that high, where he went, what, 26 in the draft. And obviously the NFL didn't love Kyle Hamilton, in part due to the fact that he was a premium player at a non-premium position at that safety position. And that's why he felt like a 14 where the Ravens got him. And again, not saying that the Falcons are strictly like their board is exactly like the consensus board, but overwhelmingly, when you look at their first picks in the first three rounds over the last two years, they're not straying that far off the consensus, right? Richie Grant was number 54 on the consensus board. We picked him at 40. Jalen Mayfield was one slot below him at 55 on the consensus board. We picked him at 68. Arnold Ebiketti was 34 on the consensus board. We got him at pick 38. Troy Anderson was 69 at pick 58. Desmond Ritter was 42 at pick 74. D'Angelo Malone was 106 at, at pick 82. Now, when we got into day three, Drew Dolman, Darren Hall, Taquan Graham, you know, Justin Schaefer, et cetera, some of these guys would be considered quote unquote reaches from where they were taken. It was a little bit off uh, the beaten path from consensus, but you know, that's where we we had the Falcons taking guys that maybe a round or two earlier than where they thought were projected to go. But in the first three rounds, that wasn't necessarily the case. Maybe 15 spots or, or so uh, here or there, but nothing crazy with that. And so, you know, if we're imagining three quarterbacks go in the top seven, and then we imagine Will Anderson, right, Jalen Carter, Christian Gonzalez, and, and Tyree Wilson uh, are, are the other four guys to go in the top seven, that's going to leave B. John Robinson as as the best player available in the draft. And this is why the B. John Robertson conversation cannot be ignored. I think by a lot of Falcon fans, because it, to me, it's a true test over whether or not the Falcons are a best player available drafting team, or is that something that they say they are right? That's a sort of retroactive thing that they say to justify their pick, as opposed to the idea that they actually are going to take a player that pretty much the consensus says is one of the five best players in this draft class. And so if he's there at eight, you would assume that the Falcons would take him if they are truly a best player available draft. But I'm going to say something that's going to shock a, a lot of you guys. I don't think Bijan Robinson is going to be the pick. I think there's certainly a chance that he's going to be the pick. But if I'm being honest with you, I think there's like a 10, maybe a 15% chance that he's the Falcons pick when it comes. Because I think in this instance, he's going to be the Kyle Hamilton of this year's draft. A premium player at a non-premium position where the Falcons are going to look at other positions. 
And the player that I think is going to leapfrog Bijan Robinson on the Falcons board is going to be Clemson pass rusher Miles Murphy. And what's interesting about the various consensus boards, right? If you look at the current athletic consensus board that is not done by Arif Hassan, but the one that they, you know, posted, I think earlier this week, Miles Murphy's ninth on that consensus board, right? If you look at the Pro Football Network's consensus board, Miles Murphy is 10th on that consensus board. And, and I myself have compiled at least 15 draft boards looking at various people's top 50, top 25, top 100. And Miles Murphy is 11th on that list based off of where he's average ranking on those boards. And so, again, I think it's a similar conversation that we had a year ago with Drake London, where Bijan's Kyle Hamilton, premium player to non-premium position that isn't a pressing need for the Falcons. And then when you look at Skaronsky and Paris Johnson, who are the other players that are consistently rated ahead of Murphy, right? I, I don't see the Falcons falling in love with an offensive lineman, right? You know, and then you also have Dev Devin Witherspoon, who is on certain boards or is a little bit behind Murphy or slightly ahead of, of Murphy. But like to me, Witherspoon is this year's Jermaine Johnson, right? He's a good player, but I don't think he's going to be the top 10 pick based off of historical precedent for that position at cornerback, similar to why Jermaine Johnson was highly touted by a lot of draft community, but the NFL didn't see him as a premier pass rusher. And while I think the offensive line position is an obvious need, so it makes sense why people think, hey, the Falcons have an opening at left guard. You know, Peter Skaronsky makes sense. A lot of people project him rather as a tackle than as a guard in the NFL. And Paris Johnson actually had played right guard at Ohio State prior to moving to left tackle this past year. But I don't see the Falcons taking a tackle convert in round one this year. They've, they've converted tackles into guards for two years in a row, and it hasn't really worked out with Jalen Mayfield in 2021 and Elijah Wilkinson in 2022. Now, Wilkinson was solid last year, but clearly the Falcons didn't think he was good enough to re-sign, right? And so... We've seen this team time and time again when it comes to the offensive line is learn from mistakes, right? They, they, they brought in a whole bunch of short-armed offensive linemen in 2021, and then the following year learned from that mistake and, and brought in a whole bunch of guys with longer arms, right? They drafted Jalen Mayfield in 2021 to be their left guard despite having no experience as a left guard, and then the following year, who did they draft to push Jalen Mayfield? That was Justin Schaefer, who pretty much all his experience came at the left guard, Right? And so when I look at a player like Miles Murphy, to me, he's kind of the Drake London in the event that one of these other premier guys is not on the board. He's the need, the scheme fit. He's also a local guy. He's got the coaching connection with Nick Eason at Clemson, with Nick Eason also coaching alongside Arthur Smith in Tennessee. So if we you know, pretty much assume that the fraudulent Alabama pass rusher doesn't make it out of the top seven, and we also get at least three quarterbacks in the top seven, you know, I think those are fairly safe assumptions at this point. We can say with some degree of confidence, right, that the Falcons pick at eight is going to be, you know, in this particular order is where I would stack it based off of the consensus. Jalen Carter is their top option. if They're going to take the best player available. Tyree Wilson is their next best option. Christian Gonzalez is their third option in that order, right? And again, if I'm betting money, it's probably going to come down to Wilson and Gonzalez. Like, that to me is the safe bet. It's going to be one of those two guys if they're there. Right. And it probably only seems likely that one of those guys, the odds are one of those guys is going to be there. So it's going to be so obvious to us on Thursday night, come April 27th, who's going to be the pick? Because one of those guys could be there. And if they are, they'll be the pick. But it's, it's highly doubtful that both of those guys are there, in my humble opinion. But we'll see. 
right? And if if all three of those guys and Carter, Wilson, and Gonzalez are gone, then I think it's Murphy, Miles Murphy, and then I think it's B. John Robinson. And I don't think you have to go deeper than that, guys, for the Falcons pick. And, you know, three weeks from now, you'll hear me reacting to who that Falcons first round pick, and I could definitely be wrong. You know, I, I often say things with my chest on this podcast, but it's not because I believe I know the answers or I have all the answers. It's just because I have compelling reasons for the reason for the ways that I think, right? As I've just illustrated, right? And so, you know, to, to, you know, oftentimes what happens is, you know, I might, I see other people change their minds about things. Like they'll say one thing in February and then say a completely different thing in April. And I like, well, I do that too, right? My changing opinion on Devon, Devin Witherspoon is a good example of that. I will always explain to you how I got from say A to B, as opposed to other people that seem to just kind of wake up um, and, and decide, you know, I said A, now I say B and, and you wonder. So we could get two weeks from now and I could be singing a different tune. But if we are there, I will be on this podcast explaining to you why I changed my opinion. And so that's why I know you guys continue to make this show your first listen. And we'll continue with this first listen, talking a little bit deeper about two of these options, Gonzalez and Wilson, and why it makes sense for both of those guys to be the Falcons pick, but why you're probably not going to see me over the next three weeks pounding the table for those guys to be or why they should be the Falcons pick. And we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. Today's episode, guys, is brought to you by the Ultimate Football GM. And you've heard me talk about this fun new mobile game, right? And if you're looking to put your Falcons GM hat on and hire coaches, coordinators, make trades, navigate through free agency, the draft, you can do so in this game. The game world is challenging. It's realistic. It's completely free, playable offline. You can play on the go as you want, whenever you want. And the great thing is you guys can get a 100% free boost when you use the promo code Locked On. In the game store, in all caps, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N in all caps. So make sure you check that out today. And if you want to download this game so that you can get your GM hat on, go visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com, ultimate football GM. Start your dynasty today. So before we talk about Christian Gonzalez, I, I do want to go a little bit further in sort of my process in the, in the lead up to the draft. My pre-draft process is my goal is to know a little bit about a lot of guys. And so oftentimes, much to, I'm sure, some of your uh, frustration, like you'll ask me, who, who do you think we should take or who, do, who would you take in these situations? And I'm often reluctant to give a definitive answer because to me, Locked on Falcons, despite you know some appearances, is not about, hey, let me show you why I'm the smartest guy in the room and why I'd be the perfect general manager for the Falcons. Although I am flattered from time to time when the, the handful of you guys do say, you know, you would make a great GM there. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so humble. I can't, I can't accept that praise. So humble. But, you know, to me, Lockdown Falcons is really about, it's not about me. It's about you, right? It's about giving you, you know, the, the information to be informed about the moves that the Falcons, the moves that the Falcons actually do make, not the hypothetical ones that I would make, right? And, you know, when I, when we talk about, what you guys want in this podcast. Like I, I know what you actually want is my thoughts on what the Falcons actually do, because I know that because the most listened to podcast episode every year on the podcast, and if it's not one, it's two or three every single year, like clockwork is the Friday episode after round one, my rapid reaction to whatever the Falcons do on day one of the draft. That's the, that's an episode that everybody comes to tune in to. And so like, you know, it's not about, you know, 
who the Falcons should take. It's about who the Falcons do take. And so when I look at those options, the aforementioned options, right, I don't look at that as, hey, you know, the Falcons should take this guy or whatever. Now, pre-draft, I'm looking at one or two games for a lot of top guys. I'm looking at, you know, three or four games. In post-draft, I'll go deeper and dive into the six or eight games and my opinions pre-draft are, you know, sort of initial opinions, right? Knowing a little bit about a lot of guys. And then after the draft, it's knowing a lot about a few guys, the players that the Falcons do draft. And so when you look at a player like uh, Witherspoon, right? My transparency on, on Devin Witherspoon, right? During the season, I watched two games of him on YouTube, right? And I liked it, the player, thought he was like a middle of the first round player. That was around the time when the Falcons were looking like they were probably going to be picking in the middle of the first round as opposed to the top 10. So it made sense to me. And then after the season, in January, I started to hear more people talk about him. This is the best cornerback in the draft class. And I'm like, okay, I can get I can get behind that. And part of that is due to my personal opinion on Christian Gonzalez, the Oregon corner, the other guy that's at the top of various people's draft boards at cornerback, is because I'm not in, in love with Christian Gonzalez like other people are. And then we got around combine time, and I watched one more game of Devin Witherspoon on All-22, and I had some concerns. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me hold off on, on this. Let me skip access to more film, which I did get later in March and watched two or three more games of him on all 22. And some of the concerns I had in the initial all 22 breakdown, I had watching more and more games. And that's why I have gone from in, you know, late January, early February being like, Hey, Devin Witherspoon's going to be the Falcons pick versus now I'm like, yeah, I don't think he's a top 10 player. Right. That's what I mean where, you know, I explain how I got from a to B. And so when we talk about Christian Gonzalez, even though I, I say I don't love the player, right? Again, a lot of this is based off of watching three or four games. And post-draft, I'll probably wind up watching six or eight games. And maybe through that process of watching more film of him, I'll come around to love the player, right? That happened last year with Arnold Ebiketti. That happened last year with uh, D'Angelo Malone. It wasn't like I disliked those guys or anything like that, although I was very lukewarm on D'Angelo Malone. When we initially drafted him, uh, was less lukewarm on our okay. It wasn't, it was just like, oh, he's not going to be the Falcons pick because he's going to get picked somewhere in the first round. So I didn't necessarily need an, an Arnold, a pro or anti Arnold Epicetti take. But then as I watch more film and I'm like, I feel better about these players than I did initially. And so that could happen with Christian Gonzalez. And if he's the pick, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad pick, even if I don't necessarily love the player, because the reasons why he makes sense as the Falcons pick is because he looks exactly like what you would draw up a top 10 corner. Right. We've talked before about cornerback is a height, weight, speed position when it comes to how high guys get drafted. And when you compare Christian Gonzalez to recent top 10 cornerbacks like Patrick Sertan, the second J.C. Horn, Sauce Gardner, Jeff Akuda, Derek Steenley, you take the average measurables of those five guys that over the last three drafts have been top 10 corners. Their average height was six, one, three, eight. Christian Gonzalez, six, one, three, eight. Their average weight was 200 pounds. Christian Gonzalez, 197 pounds. Their average arm length, 32 and a half inch is Christian Gonzalez, 32 inches. Their average 40 speed, 4.43. Christian Gonzalez, 4.38. Their average broad jump, 10, 10, 10 foot 10. Christian Gonzalez, 11 foot 1. So to me, if the Falcons wind up pulling the trigger on Christian Gonzalez at 8, totally makes sense to me, right? You're going to bet on the traits with those guys. And we've seen with those other previous five guys, we we, we think we believe that Patrick Sertan the second and Sauce Gardner are going to be good players, very good players in the NFL, arguably two of the five to 10 best cornerbacks already in the NFL in the limited sample size. We've seen flashes from JC Horn. He's been injured a lot. So we need to see more consistency there. That's been the problem with Jeff Okuda. First two years in the NFL, very hurt, 
very inconsistent, seemed to turn a corner last year. We'll see about that. And we're kind of in a wait and see with Derek Stingley. Scheme fit with him and Lovey Smith didn't make a ton of sense. We'll see if he blossoms under D'Amico Ryan. So if the Falcons wind up drafting Christian Gonzalez, that Friday morning episode that you guys are all tuning into, right? You, you know, basically I'm going to spend 30 minutes basically reiterating those points on that episode. Spoiler alert, right? But some of you may have noticed that I only mentioned five cornerbacks that were taken in the top 10 over the last three years. And you probably know that there's actually been six cornerbacks taken in the top 10 in the last three years. And I left out CJ Henderson. And the reason why I don't love Christian Gonzalez is because there's a little bit of CJ Henderson in his game to me. Now, full transparency. I was a big fan of CJ Henderson back in the 2020 draft. Loved his athleticism, loved his man coverage traits, right? I liked him as a better prospect than AJ Terrell, even if I thought AJ Terrell was, you know, more the Falcon style of corner. And that's why I ultimately settled on AJ Terrell, predicting him to be the Falcons pick. But the knock on Christian uh, or CJ Henderson was he was a little bit too finesse, lacked effort in the run game, right? Not as physical at the catch point, those types of things. We saw him have a tough year one in Jacksonville, get traded to Carolina, and he's essentially been the third corner in Carolina the last two seasons. We did see some growth from him this past year, but in terms of living up to the billing of being that top 10 pick, he's fallen short. And part of me wonders, is that due to the fact of the finesse aspect of the game? And to me, Gonzalez has a little bit of that finesse element, not to the degree that I think Henderson had, but in comparison to the other five guys that we're talking about that were top 10 picks, right? Nobody watched those other five guys and said, those guys aren't physical. Their physicality jumped off the film when you watch those guys in the lead up to those drafts. I don't think the physicality jumps off the film with Christian Gonzalez. And this is why every, despite everything that's on paper that says Christian Gonzalez looks exactly like a top 10 corner that we've seen in recent memory, you know, this is why I think a lot of people rate Devin Witherspoon, you know, neck and neck with Christian Gonzalez when he doesn't have the height, weight, speed that a typical top 10 corner has. This is why Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper have Witherspoon uh, ranked over Christian Gonzalez on their various boards. I think it's a couple of spots, but, you know, right. And so, like, physicality, competitiveness is what stands out about Devin Witherspoon. Not necessarily with Christian Gonzalez. It's athleticism and traits and smoothness and, you know, those types of things. And so that's the one thing that gives me pause of being, you know, going all in on saying, oh, Christian Gonzalez is going to be a great pick. Similar to what Damian Parson of Locked On NFL Draft said on yesterday's episode, talking about how him and, um, you know, A.J. Terrell would be this Revis Camardi, not quite the same level, but, you know, one of the premier cornerback duos in the NFL. And certainly I think that potential is there. But between now and the draft, like you're not going to hear me on this podcast saying that's absolutely going to happen. But I'm not going to push back uh, against anybody else who is pushing that narrative because I can definitely see the potential there. And maybe once you do the once I do the deep dive on Christian Gonzalez after the draft and watch six, eight or more games, I'll be. Yep, he is closer to Patrick. Sertan. He is Patrick Sertan, the third, as opposed to, uh, you know, C.J. Henderson, the second. Right. And even if he's only like 80% the player that Patrick Sertan is, right? I'll take that. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about that guy lining up across from AJ Terrell for the next four to five years. So, you know, as Shannon Sharp would say, that ain't no problem. That ain't no problem, you know. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out. But he's not gonna be necessarily my guy um up, up to that point. So that's where we'll sort of leave the conversation with Christian Gonzalez. Let's turn our attention and, and basically do the same exercise on Tyree Wilson, right? And why, it, why he makes sense for the Falcons at eight, 
But why I would still also express similar reservations about him as a prospect. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked On Falcons. The NBA playoffs are almost here, guys, and it is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. All you got to do is download the FanDuel Sportsback, a sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use, or you can head on over to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up and claim your no-sweat first bet, and you can wager from anything from points point spreads to money line to threes drain. And if the NBA isn't your speed, head on over to FanDuel and smash that over with the Falcons seven and a half win total this upcoming season. So don't miss your chance for that. No sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you join FanDuel today, head on over to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So um, the main thing when we're talking about Christian uh, or Tyree Wilson is, is kind of a similar conversation with Christian Gonzalez, right? The selling point on him is you're looking at a player with plus plus traits right now. We don't quite know what Wilson's athletic profile is because he hasn't tested, right? He's going to have a private, his own personal private workout pro day a little later this month, what the exact date is. You know, we don't know. It was initially reported as mid April. So probably next week or two, somewhere along those lines. So, so I'm not expecting him to disappoint when he does test, right? We know that the NFL especially in recent years, has coveted bigger athletic defensive ends. We saw that, you know, Trayvon Walker going number one, leapfrogging some more proven pass rushers with teams betting on the traits last year. And, you know, a fun fact is Kayvon Thibodeau, one of those players that Trayvon Walker leapfrog, is the only sub 260 pound edge rusher that has been taken in the top 10 since 2016 when Leonard Floyd was taken in the top 10. And so clearly the NFL is pushing towards bigger, faster, you know, stronger uh, defensive ends in recent drafts, right? So if you take over the last five drafts since Leonard Floyd, you look at the top 10 edge rushers taken in those five drafts, their average height was six, four and a half, 266 pounds, 33 and seven and three quarters inch arms, right? A 40 speed of four, six, five, a three cone of seven Oh nine and a broad jump of, you know, 10 feet. And you look at a player like Tyree Wilson, who comes in significantly bigger and longer than that. Six, six, 271 pounds, 35 and five eighths inch arms. And right. We'll see how he tests. I'm expecting his three cone to be probably a little bit higher than 709, maybe like 715, somewhere in that range. Right. But I do think he'll probably run faster than a four, six, five, and he'll probably jump further than a, a 10 foot broad jump. Now, assuming that he does test like that, then we're talking about from an athletic standpoint, from a size standpoint, we're talking about a similar athlete as guys like Jadavion Clowney, Ziggy Ansa, both of whom were like what top seven picks, I think in the draft. And so you understand why an NFL team is willing to bet on that type of profile year after year after year. And the Falcons make total sense to bet on that profile because that profile is kind of the ideal heir apparent to Calais Campbell, who's basically a one-year rental. And the idea is if you plot, you know, Wilson on one side of the line, you have Ebiketti on the other side of the line, that's two potential bookend pass rushers for many, many years to come. And we've talked in the past about how the Falcons, you know, might be on the cusp of getting 40 sacks for the first time since 2004. And, you know, 40 sacks would be an average pass rush. And to clarify, you know, it's not to say that the Falcons haven't had a league average pass rush at any point in the last 19 seasons. It's just that, you know, nowadays, you know, 40 sacks is the average nowadays, right? In 2016 and 2017, the average uh, NFL defense 
in terms of sacks was closer to 35. And in both of those years, the Falcons had 34 and 39 sacks. So they had league average pass rush in those two seasons. But the point is like moving forward, we haven't seen that type of, of pass rush uh, in, in the past. And so, you know, you look back, not fully 20 years, but 17 years, basically since 2006, the Falcons have been looking for these bookend edge rushers since for 17 years now, right? It started when they had Patrick Kearney and they brought in John Abraham and then Kearney departed. They drafted Jamal Anderson. He didn't work out. They replaced Jamal Anderson with Ray Edwards. He didn't work out. They got rid of John Abraham. Uh, They bring in, you know, Vic Beasley. And a couple of years later, they bring in Tack McKinley. They don't work out. They replace Beasley with Fowler. That didn't work out. And so now we're back here with Ebiketti looking for his bookend pass rusher across from him and, it remains to be seen while we can sit here and be hopeful it remains to be seen if Ebiketti or that new guy like a Tyree Wilson are going to work out. And so look, you know, there's some people listening to this podcast right now, you know who you are, Gary, right? That in 2006, you were changing diapers. And now in 2023, your son, your daughter is ready to graduate from high school, right? It's an entire lifetime right now. Someone has grown up before your eyes since the Falcons have had that good book in pair of pass rushers. And I'm sure that makes you feel old. Welcome to my world. Right. But we're, we're back here again, searching. Right. And clearly it hasn't worked up to this point. And I get why that's probably why a lot of people are hesitant. Like we're going to do this again. <laughs> I feel like we've been down this road so many times and it never works out for the Atlanta Falcons, but you know, and, and, and when you look at a player like Tyree Wilson, I can understand even greater hesitance because he's a project. He's an unrefined pass rusher. He's got the tools, but like he's not there yet. And it may take the better part of three years for him to get there, and he may never get there, right? And it goes back to something I said to Keith Sanchez the other earlier this week, uh, you know, on the podcast, talking about comparing Tyree Wilson similarly to someone like a J.D. Van Clowney, right? And the knock on Clowney has been, despite all the talent that we all recognize he had, coming into the league, you know, eight, nine years ago, right? He's never been that sort of alpha pass rusher. He's been more of a high-end beta, you know, to use the popular parlance. I'm not going to say shout out to Andrew Tate, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no shout out to Andrew Tate, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's not an alpha. He's, he's more of a beta pass rusher. If, if we can use uh, that parlance without, you know, getting in, into all the other stuff, if you get what I'm just saying. Um, now maybe Wilson's better than that. Maybe he's worse than that. We'll see. Right. But if the Falcons drafted, I'm not going to be complaining because I'm going to hope and, and pray that he's going to be better than that, that he's going to be that alpha. Right. And basically, even though the Falcons have a history of, of striking out, trying to do this with these edge rushers and these pass rushers, you got to keep taking swings. It's, it's not going to work. It's not going to magically show up and, you know, you know, Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald are going to show up tomorrow and be like, hey, you know what? We just decided that we want to play for the Atlanta Falcons. We're going to solve all your problems. So they got to take swings. And and my hope is that with Anyamata, you know, here for another two years, we've talked before about how Grady Jarrett, you can probably expect two more peak years from him at least. You know, you got Arnold Ebiketti hoping to make a year two jump. You got Campbell here for a rental. You got Carter. You got, um, you know, D'Angelo Malone. You got Taquan Graham. You got all these guys, right? You don't necessarily need Tyree Wilson to come in and light the world on fire right away. And so it buys you a little bit of time. And hopefully, you know, he can tag team with Ebiketti and, and Yanyamada and Jarrett as a quality foursome for the next couple of years. 
And it makes me optimistic about the future of this team and the future of this pass rush because I'm hoping that this current regime is going to be different than the previous regime that got very complacent when it came to pass rushes. When they drafted Beasley and Jarrett and um, Tack McKinley, and we're like, we're done. We've, we've solved the pass rush problem. They didn't, right? Like, I feel like this regime is going to continue to take swings, right? The Saints did it when Nielsen was there. Every year that Nielsen was there, the Saints drafted a pass rusher. Now, some of those guys like Zach Mon and Caden Ellis moved to linebacker, but every year they drafted somebody that their job in college football was to get after the quarterback, and I'm hoping that we will see a similar trend moving forward. Now, we'll see what my floor ceiling comps for Tyree Wilson is going to be after the draft, once I do my deep dive, if I have to do a deep dive on him, if he's the Falcons pick, but for the moment, let's say he it's JDB on Clowney, Right. And again, that's not an alpha. That's not a lead dog, so to speak. Right. But I sit here and I go, if you put Clowney on one side and then on the other side, you have Abby Ketty, and let's use my ceiling comp for him was Demarcus Lawrence. Is that a bad combination? Maybe that's not, you know, two alphas. Maybe that's two betas, right? Two guys that are, more likely to get six to eight sacks per year versus 10 to 12 sacks every year. But that to me establishes a solid foundation for you at the edge rusher position, obviously in the future with an aging Jared and Anya Mata, you're going to have to find a replacement for them. But I feel like you're starting at a better point with those two guys, with a clowny, with a Lawrence, with an Ebiketti slash Wilson, than you are from some of the past choices that the Falcons have made. And that gives me hope and optimism for the future. So to me, the selling point on Tyree Wilson is less about, hey, he an individual is going to solve all the Falcons pass rush problems. Maybe he does. Of course, the potential is there. But it's and and of course, you, you feel good about Ryan Nielsen's development potential, or at least you feel optimistic about Ryan Nielsen's ability to develop that type of player out of him. But at the same point, it's a, really about the Falcons are investing in this area that we have not seen them reliably and, and successfully invest in the past. And so the next decade will not be as devoid of pass rush moving forward as it has been for the last two decades. And so we'll, we'll see what paths the Falcons ultimately go down when it comes to this draft, right? Like I could certainly see one path where they go, you know, Christian Gonzalez in round one and take Georgia Tech defensive end Keon White in round two, or they go Tyree Wilson in round one and they take South Carolina cornerback Cam Smith in round two. And I'm for either path, right? You know? Now, of course, now that I say that, you know, they'll, they'll take Peter Skaronsky in, in round one and then they'll take like Iowa tight end Sam Laporta in round two. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and tell you right now that's a bad path, but let's just say after the draft, I'll have to do a lot more diving into the film before I can really sell you on that plan moving forward. All right. So, again, let's assume that they take edge rusher corner in rounds one and two. Round three, probably a wide receiver. Right. I'd like to believe it's a speed guy like Tyre Scott out of Cincinnati or Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma and Jaden Reed out of Michigan State. But knowing the Falcons, they'll get like a big guy. They'll get Cedric Tillman out of Tennessee or A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest or Rasheed Rice out of SMU. Right? And then round four, then maybe they address their offensive line issues. Nick Broker, the guard from Ole Miss. Ryan Hayes is probably going to be the tackle uh, out of Michigan. You know, we'll, we'll see how it all goes. And then, you know, they'll take a linebacker and a running back and a D tackle or something safety or something like that, you know, at the end of day three, something along those lines. So we'll see how it all goes, guys. But, uh, you know, we'll be talking a little bit more about possible options for the Falcons in round one. And probably our next Mox Draft Monday is probably going to be Nolan Smith, right? And uh, as I 
clearly laid out on today's episode. I don't think Nolan Smith is going to be the pick, but let, let's at least let's spend you know mock draft Monday um, talking about it. So that will be you know what your first listen will be at the beginning of next week, um, and then I think we'll have a lot of guests on next week. We'll probably have Mark Schofield on to talk quarterbacks, and um, we'll have some people that cover the Falcons, Falcon fans, whatever you want to call them. You know, we'll talk about some of the players that they like at some of these positions. And so we'll, we'll get into that all next week. So lots of, of, of great draft-related content. Continue to make Locked On Falcons your first listen. For your second listen, check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes, uh, where Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino are taking you through what it takes to build a successful NFL franchise each and every day. Find Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Guys, have a great weekend.